0: back for another episode of Full Steam Ahead, where we discuss all things STEM, but with a twist of art. Our goal is to encourage the next generation of STEM leaders, bring our experiences to life, and encourage you to reach your full potential. up, everybody? Welcome to Full Steam Ahead, STEM with a twist of art. Today, we've got a very special guest joining us today. Her and I go way back to middle school when we were both homeschooled. Uh, We actually met in a homeschool group, even though we weren't taught in the same setting. Uh, We would have social outings uh, together and things of that nature. Our parents um, are really cool. Um, We've learned a lot from each other. I think both of our families have learned a lot from each other. Um, And so she's very, very very special to me and definitely very special to the the world as well. Um, So none other than... Oyatewa Oyarende, Um, and don't start talking yet. Let me, let me big you up. Let me go ahead and do your bio. Uh, Dr. Oyatewa Oyarende is currently a dermatology trainee at Harvard Dermatology Residency Training Program. Chief resident of her class. She was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, and earned her BS in sports medicine at Howard University in Washington, DC. HBCU pride. Yes. Oyatewa then, went on to obtain her medical degree from the University of Illinois at Chicago College of Medicine. She later took a year off from medical school to conduct research at the National Institutes of Health. Her work resulted in multiple publications in peer-reviewed journals, abstract publications, and oral presentations at national conferences. Outside of medicine, she enjoys traveling, performing spoken word poetry, And writing her own blog, which you can find at www.notanotherdoctorblog.com. With no further ado, please welcome Dr. Oyatewa Oyarende to full steam ahead. All right, so glad to have you here. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Thank you for
1: having me. This is so exciting
0: no problem no problem so speaking of growing as as a as a human um we have all been through been through college we've you know finished high school gone to college you know done our respective uh post secondary degrees blah 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 all that stuff tell me what first inspired you to go into STEM?
1: Yeah, um, it's funny saying now, it didn't, it didn't age well, but it was Ben Carson. It was Ben Carson, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't it didn't age yeah. well. Um, I'm not gonna lie though, like, you know, when I was a kid, I read all of his books. You know, I, I wanted to be just like him. I wanted to be, actually, I wanted to be a pediatric nurse surgeon just like him. and it wasn't even like my parents forcing it on me it was just uh, his story inspired me and i just i just loved everything he stood for um and i still support all the medical things that he did i mean he was a beast he definitely made i mean he made black people proud um he made you know all kinds of stuff so i'm I'm not going to take anything away from his um from his accomplishment because of his uh Mm -hmm. political but um, that's what first inspired me to go into it in terms of like switching from pediatric nurse surgery to like dermatology over time I think that was there are a lot of little situations that made me realize that black people specifically didn't have enough advocacy in the dermatology sphere um, and so mm-hmm. wanting to, to, to be in a place where black people needed additional attention and so I learned more about Durham and how I could be helpful to black people within this space and that's what ended up
2: I ended up here, but I, it was first Ben Carson. Not even gonna lie to you. Okay, uh, I think there was a lot of You said what? I, I Sorry, I think there was a lot of like black people that went to medicine, like looked up to Ben Carson, and and, and hopefully, can, like you said, like separate his medical career and his the advancements he did during his time from his his later life. You know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. So speaking of uh dermatology um what would you say is the biggest misconception about about the field about the field of dermatology
1: yeah no actually this should have been my blow off steam um the the biggest misconception is that dermatologists are like um botox and acne medicine right and that that is all we do do Mm -hmm. dermatologists do botox and do they take care of acne absolutely by the way acne can be really bad also people act like acne is is mild it's just that it's mild for them It, it can get really terrible. But anyway, um, dermatologists do a ton of other things that are very important and the reason why I think that's annoying and also dangerous is that there are other doc because this is our culture within medicine to think that dermatologists aren't doing serious medicine, um, they will hold off on calling dermatology to help a patient until they really think they can't do anything and then they call us when we could have helped a lot earlier. So I think it's actually dangerous to mm-hmm. prepare. And in, in my program, we get a lot of inpatient dermatology experience, which is great because I like complex medical dermatology. And um, I can't tell you how many times I'm like, oh, I wish we had got this consult like a week earlier. We could have made a difference okay. in this patient's outcome. Um, I think people often think that derm is only cosmetic, and I do think that cosmetics is a is a part of dermatology. But then. Dermatology, the skin is a huge organ that tells you what's going on inside the body, inside the brain, inside like all the other parts of the body. And so besides just cosmetics, it's telling you when someone's really sick and oftentimes way before anything else will, before the blood work will, before they have pain, a rash can tell us, oh, this person might have cancer, right? This person might have something else before they get any other symptoms. And so if we can identify their cancer at the stage where it's just a rash, we might be able to like get a full body scan, figure things out and like save their life. Whereas if the rash happened, people ignored it. And then five years later, we're finally addressing it. Well, then now it's harder to save their life. So those are the kind of things that, that frustrate me a little bit about how people think about derm. Um, yeah.
2: Now, it's a selfish question, at least to help my, help my patients out. What are yeah. some things that, that, that you would want to be, I like guess a dermatologist want to be called on in the hospital that yeah. get delayed? What are some?
1: Yeah, I think the big things are, if someone has a rash and they have a fever at the same time, if you have a dermatology team that is, not every hospital actually does have an inpatient dermatology yeah, team. So, yeah. it, so it, it is tough. But those are the kinds of times where so someone comes in, right, and they have a fever and a rash that looks really bad. Maybe they're flaking all over their body. They have like issues in the mouth too, like blisters in the mouth. That can mm-hmm. be concerning for a lot of really bad drug reactions. If people aren't thinking about that, they might not even ask the patients the right kinds of questions about the drugs. People might say like any new medications and yes or no, and they keep it moving. But the real question is, have there been any new medications in the last month? Tell me if you've taken NSAIDs, have you taken Tylenol? I mean, have you taken ibuprofen for a headache? Like ibuprofen can cause really bad drug rashes and people don't even think about that, so they don't ask. So the patient could still be taking the medication that's actually causing all these problems. Um, I think the big one is like Steven Johnson syndrome. And people, it is concerning because it causes, it can cause blindness, it can cause erosions in the genitals that um, cause scarring that can't really be fixed and the blindness can't be fixed. So if they don't start on the right kinds of medications to try to slow it down early on in the course, then it just, there's not as much that can be, I mean, Stephen Johnson's, you do just let it run its course, but we do have some medications that you can start early on um, that can help prevent um, or even just knowing to call the eye doctor. I think a lot of times people don't know we need to call the ophthalmologist. So I I don't want to get too deep into the medicine, but, you know, I mean, things like that that people don't even really think about derm for, right? Um, and uh, so that just gets a little frustrating. Hmm.
0: Okay. Okay. Cool, cool. So yeah. interesting. Yeah, that, that is really interesting. I I'm I am I can't even lie. I was definitely one of those people that, when I hear dermatology, I automatically think of, Um, skin, hair, and nails. See, at least I knew the hair and the hair and nail part because a lot of people don't even think about that, they just think skin, right?
1: Yeah, you know, but it is skin, hair, and nails, though, James. Like, that's Mm -hmm. what it is. It's just that people think that skin automatically means not important, right? Um, and it's true, most of our stuff is not like life and death in the moment. 90% of derm or 95% of derm is not going to kill the person in that minute, right? So, it's not trauma surgery. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not extremely important. It can't lead to death over time. Um, It's just not gonna most of the time lead to death in that moment. So people think it's not important. But I think about like, we have patients all the time that have cancers or they they don't have a great immune system and then they have a very small rash and then no one calls us. And then it's a deep fungal infection that on another person, on a healthy person like you, it would make you really painful and you would call, like it would be an issue. But for some of these patients with immune systems that aren't working properly, those very small rashes, if we were to come in and take a sample of it, we'd be like, oh, they need to be on this really big gun antifungal medication and that gets delayed and that could kill the patient in a week or so. Hmm. You know, So things like that.
0: Right, so okay, in in terms of, uh, while we're speaking on things that you might not expect from, from a dermatologist, um, you are working with COVID patients, correct? A lot. Yeah. Uh, I've have seen you've been doing doing a lot with that. Um, describe that for me. Like, what are what are some of the pros and cons, and how did you even get you know in, involved with that sort of thing? I don't think most people really, when you think of COVID nineteen, you would think of you know like uh, in Taylor, you're in internal medicine, so it, I don't know if that's even all the way up your alley, but I think people would think of oh, yeah. internal medicine before they thought of dermatology. So how did you how did you get involved in that, and what's what's your you know what's your experience with it
1: yeah so for clarification i'm not currently working with a bunch of covid patients um when mm-hmm. when the when the pandemic was first really bad um basically residents that were in non medicine non emergency medicine um programs you know they asked for volunteers before eventually it, it it was not always voluntary for people but in my case it was voluntary i love medicine i actually thought about doing a double board like in medicine and dermatology so when i got a chance to like work with on the medicine because i was like oh i'm gonna jump at that opportunity right so i spent two months um basically acting like a medicine resident so even though i was a dermatology resident i actually wasn't doing any derm stuff i was just acting like i was a internal medicine intern again um and it was a, a crazy experience because i was on the COVID unit so all my patients were COVID positive, and um it was when we didn't know anything about it. We were still giving people medications that we know now don't work at all, and um, people were just like dying. I, I remember the thing that I remember the most is that like someone would come in and be on no oxygen, and then you would see them in the morning. You would turn around two hours later. Now they're like on four liters of oxygen, which is higher than what most people need. And then you're like, oh, but they're still talking. They're okay. Go get lunch. And then now like they're they're getting rushed to the ICU to get, like, to get a tube down their throat to help them breathe. And I'm like, they were just fine. And I think that's the biggest thing that I remember from that time was just how unpredictable things were and how weird it was. And the, the other thing that was really interesting is, so I, I work at a hospital in Boston. Our population at MGH, which is the hospital I was at that time, is definitely majority white patients. But during COVID, the patients were almost all black and Hispanic. It was crazy. It was It was almost like a wow. different hospital. And so it was, even though we didn't know the data yet, or I didn't know the data yet. It was super clear that COVID was affecting Hispanics and Blacks more than it was affecting Whites per capita. Like you know, um, and it was just like a visual. It was just crazy. It was to the point where his like Spanish-speaking doctors um, from different specialties would leave their specialties to come be full-time in-person interpreters for that time because everyone was speaking Spanish and the phone translator just wasn't enough. Um, wow. So I think those are the biggest things, just how scared everybody was, um, how lonely the patients were um, and how um, unpredictable everything was.
0: Would you say there, so what would you say are the pros and cons of, um, being in residency residency during the, during the pandemic?
1: Yeah. Um, pros, I think I'd be careful to say that there are, hold on. Let me see. Are there pros? Okay, let me say cons and then maybe a pro will come to my mind because i can't think of a pro right now i think cons are for a lot of people there's a big chunk of their education that they missed out on um so for example for those two months and actually it was more than two months that i was missing from derm because people weren't doing just like run-of-the-mill outpatient you know clinic visits right so you weren't just going in to get a skin check or oh something's bothering me no one was doing that because you know, say for surgeries, if it it wasn't like an emergency surgery, that wasn't happening either. So a lot of residents weren't able to get their education, which is important because residency is a short amount of time. You want to make sure your doctors learn all they can in that time. So definitely a lot of people miss out on months of education. Mm -hmm. But besides that, I think from a burnout standpoint, especially like the emergency medicine residents, anesthesia residents, internal medicine residents, people who were frontline the entire time, because I was frontline, a few months, but that's why I wanted to clarify because there are some people who have been frontline this whole time. And um, that burnout, seeing what I saw for two months for a year, that what that does to the psyche and what that does to making you feel, and not just residents, you know, my best friend is an occupational therapist who works in the ICU and she was up on COVID patients, right? Not just seeing them, like, because for a lot of us, we we're like seeing them, you know, and the nurses were really. Physically engaging with the patients, the, the therapists were really respiratory therapists. So just for a long time, having to just be so scared about if they were going to get sick or die, hearing weird stories in the news. I think it just for the mental health of people, it was really rough. I think if the, if, if if I'll say one pro, it probably is that it taught us what's important. I think I'm I'm learning that um, you know family and and love is really important because all the people. I mean we. I mean crazy. I remember I had one patient, like 35 year old guy, came in super young and healthy, like works out all this kind of stuff. He was one of those patients that was okay in the morning, about to get intubated in the evening. And I was calling his family, his wife and kids at home every few hours to update them. And it's how scared they were and how all he cared about was his wife, even though I'm sure like if nothing else was going on, he might care about soccer or like, I don't know, the game or getting money. All he cared about was his wife and kids in those last moments of his life. And so I think it just was a reminder of that. And he was
0: in his 30s, right? He was really young. Um, so yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Hmm. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. And I, I see what you mean by a lot of cons, not necessarily, necessarily pros. Um, would you say that there is, um, would you say that the pandemic has impacted, you know, the, um the dermatology industry yeah if so in what ways
1: yeah definitely i think um uh not just derm but everybody it forced us to start doing things more telemedicine like um kind of from home or just like using video kind of like what we're doing now which actually taught us that in dermatology we're not ready for telemedicine the way we thought we were because people send really mm-hmm. crappy photos and the video like an old person like can you see my elbow do you see the thing you know uh, (laughs) we're like no i can't see that so you still need to come in because now i need to take a sample so i think it helped us realize that at some point we're going to have to be able to be as virtual as possible across the board with medicine because if this happens Mm -hmm. again we need to be able to very quickly switch into something that's sustainable and it taught us that derm is not yet ready for that we have to figure out I mean, I don't know, like, how are we going to have photo centers and, and CBS's so that people can get good photos? Are we going to have, like, boots and Walgreens? So, like, what kinds of things are we going to do so that patients who have an amazing camera or have access to take a picture of their butt or their back or their vagina or something? How are we going to get that, that those images clearly? Um so that was something that affected it. I think besides that, we we learned that COVID can present in the skin first too. So tons of COVID rashes, tons of some sure people have heard about the COVID toe, which I don't know if I fully believe in the COVID toe, but basically the just different rashes on the body that may or may not represent COVID um, that have been really interesting. Um,
0: Didn't they say uh, weren't babies getting or kids getting rashes or something like that? That they
1: yeah, and I mean weren't and, sure it, about. Uh, yeah. And it makes sense because every other virus can cause a rash. So why wouldn't COVID be able to cause a rash? But I think, um, you know, it's interesting to note, like there are, there have been some patients that got tested for COVID because of a rash. So that was the first thing that they had with no respiratory symptoms mm. or anything. So okay. those are interesting things. Um, but I think telemedicine or just doing things virtually is probably the biggest legacy that COVID is going to have on medicine as a whole.
0: So Okay.
2: Did you see a lot of, uh, have you seen a lot of, have you in your program seen a lot of patients with uh, multisystem inflammatory syndrome?
1: We're, it's weird. I'm starting to see more of it. Now. I think the weird thing is that I'm at, I'm currently on a rotation at Children's Hospital. And so we definitely are seeing it there. Um, I didn't see a ton of it when I was on the, the inpatient unit taking care of COVID patients. And I think it's just because at that time, maybe that was happening and we just didn't know, right? Because I think we know now that you don't want to rush to put somebody on a breathing tube or intubate someone. You actually want to make sure they really need it. At that point, we were trying to do really early intubation. And so I think that um, we weren't, I think people were rushing and not really figuring out what was going on. And and people were crashing and we weren't knowing why. And you probably are, you were you seeing that same thing, I'm sure. And now I think we're able to kind of slow down and realize what is happening and giving it that name and, and mm-hmm. identifying in that way. I think back then it just felt like chaos
2: it 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 was like so we're like almost almost a year into it but when when the pandemic first started like we didn't know anything so we were just it was interesting it was interesting just seeing like how medicine like evolved like right in front of our faces right and and so like it started off with people like even being scared to test people right uh not knowing where to like how you should isolate them and then you know like you mentioned like the early inspiration thing like when people were coming in if they went from four liters to ten liters and a little they were putting two down their throat which is something that you don't typically do otherwise if someone has you know any like breathing issues you kind of wait and hopefully they can recover we weren't using steroids initially yeah. like we were holding off on steroids and I think that may have contributed to uh to people deteriorating so quickly because we weren't weren't using steroids like we're like which is standard of care now so right yeah mm-hmm. it there's a lot of a lot of things have have evolved over over time and I mean it's no fault of of anyone's it's just it, it was something that was completely new, you know, a new strain. Coronavirus has been around, but this strain of coronavirus being new and everyone just figuring it out. Right. Yeah. 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 It's been
1: crazy to watch. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect segue into a question that I have. So the industry has definitely progressed over the years. I'm curious where you would like to see it go from here. Um, And specifically derm or medicine, would you say? Derm. Okay. Derm. Derm. I think one of the things that's also changing during this time we kind of alluded to it but just um this awareness of the discrepancy between how black people's black people's outcomes um and hispanic people's outcomes and and versus white patients outcomes and that's huge in dermatology and i think covid actually helped remind people of that um but we weren't identifying certain diseases in black people because people couldn't even see the rash on, on the skin right because people aren't used to it. Mm. the funny thing is that when i look at a black person i can tell when their skin is red because we've been looking at black skin our whole lives right you know what your skin looks like you know what your mom's skin looks like but for a lot of other people who are not black and are not used to looking at dark skin like that looks like normal skin to me you know what i mean and so the danger in that is that sometimes when if the skin is going to be our flag warning us of something dangerous in a patient If a doctor is not able to recognize that in the skin then that patient is going to be the one that's going to have all the negative outcomes of a later diagnosis than a white patient would and so i think that during this time dermatology and i will give it up to you know the the national leadership of our specialty they really have made that a point that we need to fix and they're trying whether or not they really care or it's just because everyone's focusing on it now so they have to make this an important issue. I don't really care because the the difference is being made and I patients are being helped. People are like, do you think they really care? I don't really care if they really care as long as patients are Right. Um, And so I think that's a big shift that we're seeing and that's something that I am uh, wanting to be a part of and why I got into medicine and definitely into dermatology is to make sure that at least for, for now, the immediate goal is that there are dermatologists like me, or like other people that care about darker skin patients that know how to take care of them. The eventual goal is that any doctor should be able to take care of any patient. You know, I think in in the interim, unfortunately I do think patient, or fortunately patients just feel more comfortable with people that look like them and that they perceive, understand them. But I'm hoping that at some point any doctor will be able to show that cultural competency. You know, even little things like in derm, you know, if someone has something inflammatory on the scalp or like a rash on their scalp or psoriasis or dandruff or anything, you'll have dermatologists prescribing patients something to wash their hair with every day, right? Which anyone who knows, no, she's not washing nope. her hair every day, nor yeah. should she. And the funny thing is people are like, oh, well, let's tell them to wash every day. No, she shouldn't wash her hair every day. Or it's gonna be matted <laughs> yeah, and dry yeah. and it's gonna yeah. fall out, right? And so even something as small as that is making a huge difference. Because what you're going to do is you're going to tell a black woman, wash her hair with this medicine every day. She's going to be like, this person's stupid. She's going to go home, not even pick up the shampoo, and still have the same problem. And then go to someone else two years from now being like, I've had this rash for three years. And they're going to be mm-hmm. like, well, why didn't you do anything about it? You see and, and those kinds of things were happening all the time. Just people just not being fully culturally competent when it comes to, to, to black people. And not even just... Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, it's huge. And even when I think about other cultures, cultures that are not necessarily African-American cultures, but Middle Eastern cultures or whatever, sometimes we would talk to patients, talk to the woman in the family and tell her something. And I wouldn't... At first, I wouldn't understand why is she not acting like she's going to do this thing? And she's, you know, they're like, I need you to tell my husband this or my father this or the man in the family. And whether or not I... That's my culture. I have to respect the patient's culture so that I can give them the best care. And so I think that we're moving in that direction to be culturally competent. Um, And that's what I'm most excited about seeing.
2: That's
1: awesome. Um, So this one, I guess it's like a a little superficial, but um, I was wondering what are the best kind of like over-the-counter products for Black skin? Um, I guess it's kind of like a double question. The the best kind of like economical OTC products for Black skin and what products are all hype and not worth buying in your opinion yeah so um i'm not sure the rules when we talk about specific brands but i'll say some concepts um okay i think um black people tend to love natural so what Mm happened is that companies are taking advantage of the fact that black people love natural things um natural means nothing unfortunately natural is a word that people can slap on anything um also Mm -hmm. natural people can be allergic. So for example, I tell people all the time, right? Like poison ivy is natural. If you put it on your face, you're gonna have a huge problem, right? And so I I find often that like, because my patients are so fixed on natural, then they'll use these products that have a ton of like plants in it that would cause similar reactions to poison ivy on their face, right? And these companies that are taking advantage of that desire for that that label. Um, and so that's what I'd be, the biggest thing that I'd be concerned about with people. If you wanna try a specific Oil. so for example someone's like i really think that olive oil would work for me what i tell people is you add in one product at a time and see how your skin reacts to it because believe it or not there are tons of people that would have reactions to olive oil on their skin you know so mm-hmm. um whereas there are some people who are like i've been using olive oil on my face for 20 years and i'm glowing and all that you know i don't know um but that jlo is talking about olive oil or whatever to sell Um, I wouldn't know. Yeah, I think (laughs) the product line and says that she, you know, hasn't used any Botox or anything and used olive oil for all her life. And I'm like, sure. Anyway, (laughs) what was his shade by default? Anyway, um, well, I think that's that's one of the things that I end up kind of like trying to have a conversation with patients about. Like, how about this? You want to try olive oil? Cool. Let's just try olive oil for two weeks to one place and see what happens. And so many times they're like, oh, my skin had this issue. But what often happens is that for people don't they don't realize that this needs to be a conversation they'll give their patients two medications and say okay also try the olive oil their skin reacts and then the patient's like oh it was the medications right when it really was they were allergic to the olive oil so there's nothing wrong with all the oils the problem is that people were developing more and more allergies to these things we have to be careful i think in terms of black skin the most important things are my two most important tips are making sure they use a gentle moisturizer. As much as, as much as possible because dry skin gets inflamed and then inflamed skin gets dark spots. Like you you probably notice when you have an acne pimple or something that goes away, there might be a darker spot that takes forever to go away. People call mm-hmm. it a scar. It's not really a scar. It's just inflammation was there and now it's gone and it leaves darker marks and darker skin. Whereas white people, it might leave a little red for a little bit and then it'll go away completely. The more melanin you have, the more of a dark mark it will leave. So people don't understand that dry skin is irritated skin and you might not ever see a rash and then you'll just start seeing dark marks and that's because your skin was dry and the body is kind of giving that post-inflammatory dark spot. Besides that, sunscreen. Mm -hmm. People don't usually wear sunscreen when they're dark skin because they're like, oh, I'm not gonna get skin cancer from the sun. Which the funny thing is you're probably not gonna get skin cancer from the sun. I'm not gonna lie to black people and be like, oh, the sun's causing your skin cancers. Because black people tend to get skin cancers in the the genitals and the hands and feet where the sun is not really the problem but do they get wrinkles from the sun? Do they get dark marks from the sun? Do they get photo aging from the sun? Absolutely. And people tell me like, oh, well our ancestors live in Africa and there was all this sun and they didn't have these problems. And I'm like, yeah, global warming has depleted our ozone layer. So we're getting much more sun than our ancestors got. Mm -hmm. And it's affecting us much differently than it affected our ancestors, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So unfortunately things are different. So I'd say my two biggest tricks for dark skin is moisture, moisture, moisture um, and sunscreen. And be careful with the natural thing. Just, just, just be careful
0: with it. Yeah. Okay. True. That's almost like the, uh, um, what is it? Free range chicken, <laughs> like free range could be a hundred feet or it could be just five feet. <laughs> you don't really know. You don't. know. <laughs> but I still do buy the the um the 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 free range uh chicken eggs though, yeah. and the brown eggs. And I'm I'm, I'm not
1: saying don't use natural products. I'm just saying that. Right. Patch and not Stop thinking that because it's natural, they're they're gonna do better with them and really start patch testing, patch testing a patch of skin, seeing how it reacts before just like putting it on their whole body, thinking that oh, it's natural, then it's gonna be great, right? Yeah, That's
2: do you real. have specific? That's go ahead, go ahead, Taylor. All right, I'm gonna go ahead. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you, <have> it? <laughs> you know, like two cars, like go to like a stop, like a four way stop, and they're just. Oh, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, I was gonna ask: Do you have any like products that you specific products that you do recommend for people, like as far as like moisturizing goes? And
1: yeah, I mean, I, I, I again, I don't know if there's rule. I'm gonna put this in, and then we can look this up, and then take mm-hmm. it out. If I'm not allowed to talk about brands. I think the average dermatologist will always um, talk about Cerave, and the reason being is not because Cerave is so special, except that Cerave is um, it, it has very few things that people can be allergic to. So, although it's not olive oil based or shea butter based, which people love, it's free of parabens and fragrance and like all this stuff. So, I trust CeraVe's products because I know that they're trying very hard to stay away from allergens. Same thing for um, Cetaphil. Cetaphil. Sorry? Cetaphil, Cetaphil,
0: one of them, Cetaphil, CeraVe,
1: Vanicream. These companies, their whole goal is what can I, how can I create a product that no one's going to react badly to. So now within those products, it's going to be individual what you actually like, because some people are like, oh, this is too thick for me. I don't like it. Personally, I put Vaseline on my skin every night and I love it. Most people are like, oh, it's way too thick. But the reason why I love Vaseline is that it's only one ingredient. There's not two things in it like Aquaphor or all those other things that have other products. Vaseline is just one thing. It's very occlusive. So if you get your skin damp and put Vaseline on top of it, it locks that water into your skin and it really moisturized like a deep moisturizing treatment. You can't do it in the morning because then you look like a grease ball, but at night, I almost like a mask for my skin every night and especially around my eyes, like I notice how much more moisture I get from something like that. So, um, you know, but it's not fancy and it's not expensive. Um, there isn't, I, I what I'm excited about is another future direction is for there to be a Black-owned skincare line that's for sensitive skin. And for, there are tons of amazing Black-owned skincare lines my issue with a lot of them is that they all also are very big on on some things and they're like fragrance and plants that a lot of people are allergic to. So I just see that all the time. People that are like, I have this amazing product, but why do I have a rash? I'm like, it's because of the amazing product. Um, <laughs> and so um, I am hopeful and maybe I'll take part, you know, I don't know, in, in, in a Black-owned brand that is also similar to CeraVe and Cetaphil and Vanna Cream that is for sensitive skin and not for just run-of-the-mill like normal skin because normal skin you could put I used to put uh uh Victoria's Secret lotion on my face back in the day before I had sensitive skin and it was I mean that's chock full of a, a bunch of crap that no one should ever put on their face with all the perfume and axe moisturizer you should never put that on your face but most people have like normal skin so it's fine so the minute you have sensitive skin and you put that axe on your face or that Victoria's Secret or any other scented lotion on, you're gonna be in big trouble. So
0: yeah. that's um. So I wanted to touch on you were talking about Vaseline, like putting Vaseline on your face. I don't, I don't think it would work for me. Yeah. Because I just remember, so I was in like sixth grade <laughs> and I was, you know, back in like second to like all the way up until probably like you know before I decided to go ball. You know, I was trying to rock the waves and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. So I was always in the brush of my hair. But I remember in sixth grade, I was putting Vaseline because one of my homeboys, he was like, yeah, I, I get waves because I just put Vaseline and I just brush it. And in so I was hair. literally like, yeah, in my hair, I was putting Vaseline. Boy, waves was on like swim. It was like Pacific Ocean, you know, a lot going on in my hair. I was, you know, I was out there, you <laughs> like, know, okay. but then I started right. getting like swelling in my head. I started getting like these little bumps and stuff and it, my hip, it became very tender headed. And um, the doctor was like, "Yeah, looks like you have ringworm." And I was like, "Bro, how? Like, I'm not, you know, no, no, I, I haven't been nobody around nobody with ringworm." She was like, "Well, it can happen in different ways, and you don't have to necessarily get it. Somebody ringworm comes from dirt and a buildup of different things. So basically, what was happening, I was taking showers, and my friends, my homeboy's brother was telling me put it on your hair when it's damp, and like you said, it locks in the moisture, but it was locking in too much moisture yeah. and also locking in. The grease that my body was creating on its own, along with Mm. not getting fully getting rid of the dirt that was in my hair, yeah. So it caused my my scalp to react in that manner. So I had to go like the whole summertime when I got a haircut. Man, I was looking like a cheetah patched up. It was it was it was all bad. So I know. I I,
1: I think to add to that, I think because Vaseline is is an occlusive, it really occludes everything, right? Mm -hmm. But whatever's on the skin already, if you lock it in with the Vaseline, then that's going to be stuck to the skin. So I'd say like people often are like, Vaseline gave me acne or it gave me this problem. It probably actually wasn't the Vaseline. The Vaseline just made it way worse because there was something else on the skin that wasn't fully off the skin, that the Vaseline just locked in. And so like, um, this happens all the time. Like people are like, oh, I wear makeup. I take my makeup off and I put Vaseline on. I'm like, your makeup probably wasn't all the way off. And then you locked in that dirt onto your face. And now mm. overnight that dirt is like stuck under the Vaseline, cannot move. And that same thing that probably happened on your scalp. I'm not gonna throw shade on how he was washing your hair. You know, I'm gonna let that, that's between you and God. But I was
0: I was washing it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, but I, I definitely don't say everyone should use it. People hate Vaseline if it makes them feel yeah. better. But it's just the concept of using things that have less ingredients than more.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just I was making that point because like what works for one person like might not exactly. you know work for somebody 100%. else. Like you were saying earlier. So that was the situation where it I didn't work for me. A
1: good doctor listens to their patient, right? So if their patient is being like, I don't care, this thing didn't work for me, if they can do something else, even if they don't agree, because half the time, mm-hmm. I'm sure, Taylor, you've experienced this too, where a patient's like, this does not work, or I don't like this, and you're like, this is the this is what you need, you that's, know?
2: That's the treatment. Yeah.
1: Um, you still work with the patient, because if they don't want to do what you want them to do, <laughs> they're going to leave and not do it. So... Um, sometimes I tell patients, okay, stop this great product because you don't like it and we'll do something else because if, if you don't like it, you're not going to use it. It's not going to work anyway. So.
2: Right. Yeah. Anything Ooh, you recommend um, to uh, oh. as far as like, cleaning, just cleaning your face?
1: I think those same pro those same products, like those same companies, um, they, they're, they're cleaning products, they're moisturizers. All of them, again, like I said, have very few um, ingredients in them, so I really like them. If you were my individual patient and you were like, I really want to try this other product, I would look at the back, look at the ingredients and tell you how I felt about it. But in terms of like products that I know that tend to be good for most people, Cetaphil, CeraVe, Vanicream, those ones tend to be good for like most patients.
0: In terms of, so wash, when you, washing your face, I have this argument with this particular someone in my life and... If you aren't you so I was always told you should wash your face two times a day. Mm-hmm. Her argument is I haven't heard that so she only does it once a day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is, is she washing that at night? So in the mornings. Okay. So, who's right? I'm right, correct?
1: Um, it depends on what... You're both right. It depends on what kind of skin you use. For someone who has okay. dry skin or eczema or something like that, we actually do recommend spacing out washing, especially if they're using soap, mm. just because every time you use soap and hot, hot water, both of them strip the skin of all the natural oils and then make it really dry. So, um, if, so what I tell patients is if they have really dry skin, wash it at night, because I don't like people going to sleep with a dirty face, because... And they smush their dirty face into their pillow, and all the same way the Vaseline does, the pillow does, occludes all that dirt into their face, causes acne, and all kinds of other problems. So, I'd say if you have super dry skin, wash at night, and then in the morning, just put moisturizer on because you don't want to just go out. You got to do something, get the, you know, you got to do something. Yeah. Um, And I
0: think that's why she does it in the morning.
1: Right. But
0: I get get what you're saying too, though.
1: But for some people who have um, super oily skin, they're not going to get away with just washing once a day in terms of how they feel and how it looks and all that kind of stuff. So you're both right. Yeah, I, d- you I tell do twice.
0: Out. I have I have oily skin.
1: Yeah, so so I, I would do that. twice a day for you.
0: This person has a drier drier skin,
1: and that's perfect. So you guys are both doing the exact right thing that I would have told you to do.
0: Okay, two things are possible. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you this question. It's not related to skin or anything like that. Um. How would you say um, Howard prepared, Howard University prepared you um, to operate or, or to thrive in, in the medical field during the, during the pandemic?
1: Yeah, sorry, I'm moving my computer closer because it's dying. Okay, it's now plugged in. Okay. Um, how did Howard pre- prepare me to, sorry, to, to,
0: a- to thrive or to, to operate during this pandemic in the medical field?
1: yeah i think howard just prepared me for everything you know it's just it just was a a beautiful experience i think okay but being serious um a few things one um learning how to make a decision under pressure was definitely a skill that i feel like i got at howard university um there was a ton of pressure for no reason looking back it was stupid but like organizational pressure wanting to have clout pressure Wanted to be caught in the hilltop for dressing along the yard pressure, right? And so like all these things made me feel like everything was urgent. And I I, I started an organization in, in college that was like a, a dorm. I remember that. That, uh, you know, it was kind of like a, a mini sorority at the time, you know, looking back, this is all very silly, but at the time, um, you know, at Howard, we, we take orgs very seriously, you know, and I know, you know, I don't know how many of you guys are um, D9. I'm not, but at Howard, every org was like a mini Greek org and everybody thought about it like you have to prepare yourself to become D9 like every every moment of your existence was preparing yourself to pledge and so we were just very stressed all the time about like you know not being paper or like I don't know just w- weird things but <laughs> I think what that created was a situation where um we were often making decisions and thinking about how we were able to be discreet how we were able to make decisions under pressure. And I think just in general, that's prepared me for real life. The things that are important are, have changed, but the ways that I'm able to kind of like stop, quickly make a decision that I think is gonna be better for the future and go in that direction. I think I got that skill from Howard. And the other thing I got from Howard was, um, I think everybody that went to an HBCU can probably feel similarly. You're not thinking about yourself as a black person in a white space every moment. You know, you're just you're just trying to be the best version of you. You're not trying to be like a black person. You just are a black person in that space. And so I think it gave me a certain self-esteem to just, I I, like whatever grade I got or however I was ranked in the class, it's not because of or in spite of my race, it just is. So now that I am out in a space where I'm the only black person in my residency program, um, I'm not always comparing myself to other people based on that. I'm just like, I know that I'm lit based off of like what was given to me you know, primarily at Howard or from my home or whatever. I'm not always trying to compare myself. It's still hard. I do think that mm-hmm. the transition from being, because it's not just college for me, I, I grew up in Lithonia on the east side of Atlanta and was surrounded by black people to the point where you saw a white person in the grocery store, and it was like, oh snap, I'm a look, you know? So, um, <laughs> so, you know, school and then now residency for me were definitely like a gradual change from that. But I think mm-hmm. that I, I still carry with me the self-esteem that I gained from being around all these amazing, smart, intelligent, dope people that also happen to be Black. So I'm not concerned about whether or not Black people can be smart. I'm not like, can Black people be a doctor? I saw tons of Black doctors. I'm not like, can Black people be, uh, you know, top of their class? I've seen tons of Black people top of their class, lawyers, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I have friends that are lawyers, doctors, engineers, you know. Um, all throughout STEM that are black, and so um, that that was that's been a huge help during um, pressure.
0: Got you. And did you did you enjoy your time at um, like how how Univers- University of Illinois, correct? At Chicago, yeah. um, how was your experience there? Would you would you say it was amazing? Drive-
1: it was amazing. Yeah. I think it's because so in terms of preparing me for where I am now, where definitely mm-hmm. I am like I was a minority there too. But it was one of those things where in my class of 200 or so, I had 20 black people, probably 40 Hispanic people, people from the Middle East, people from everywhere. So even though technically a minority and there were technically more white people, there were a ton of just every kind of person. You know what I mean? Right. Like mm-hmm. in my friends group, I had like close Indian friends, black friends, like everybody was just like intertwined and mixed up. And then definitely right. in terms of just wanting to have that home-based black group, I had that. So, right. Um. It was kind of a comfort zone for me and, 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 a, and a helpful transition from howard to where i am now where you know on most of my interviews i was the only black person interviewing across the country um and then definitely when i started my residency i was the only black person um and so it was nice to have that intermediate experience but i loved uic
0: okay yeah that's that's real i i, I enjoy my um post my graduate experience at Arkansas as well so i I've and I hear a lot of people say that they they're like oh yeah I went to such and such you know for grad school I didn't really enjoy that much but I I, I really enjoyed well, my my grad school years as well yeah. uh, so I was just interested to to see your take on that I
1: mean
0: it um, was rough but my people were solid yeah <laughs> <agree with> <laughs> um, yeah so I I wanted to um you know kind of as we kind of wrap things up um could you Could you give maybe, you know, somewhere two to three or three to five tips on um, what you can tell aspiring dermatologists?
1: Yeah. Um, uh, Okay. People who see me in other places are talking about, I talk a lot to especially black people that want to do any competitive specialty. And I I probably sound like a broken record. I think the most important thing is um, knowing that you can do it. I think most people that don't get into dermatologists because they didn't apply. So in medicine, people kind of put dermatology on like this pedestal along with a few other specialties. And people tell people what they can and cannot do based off of their board scores or based off of their network or all these kinds of things. Any mentee that comes to me with any score on any exam, I tell them if they really want to do derm, they can do derm. And I haven't had a single mentee not match into dermatology. And the only reason is because they're bulldogging ahead at what they desire, right? I think a lot of times people have like these plan B's and plan C's, which if that's your if that's your jam, that's cool. I don't believe in the plan B at all. I believe in like plan A, then a. one or 8.2. I don't know, whatever. Like, you know, you're going to end up a dermatologist. That's the end, right? So I tell them, I'm like, hmm. you want to be a dermatologist? That's the end. It's set. It's in stone. So the question is not, are you going to be one? The question is, how are you going to get there? And I think that framework, Really helps people figure out, okay, what is my next best step as opposed to like, oh no, am I gonna make it? And that really helps them make it. Because people drop off all along the journey for things they wanted to do because someone tells them they can't. Because someone told me not to apply to med school that I wasn't gonna get in when I applied, I got into four schools. Then someone told me that I wasn't gonna get into dermatology and I'm a Harvard dermatology resident. So those are the kinds of things that people have to like get out of their heads. So that's A. B is network. I think that it's a game of how many people know you and like you, and that's all of life, not just derm or medicine. I think that's law, I think that's acting, I think that's everything. And so if you know that you're gonna to apply to 100 programs, you need to be trying to talk to people at those programs ahead of time to just learn about their journey to the field, to just have conversations, right? Not all of them are gonna be, not all of them are gonna contact you back, right? Like I emailed probably 80 people three, three two or three, in the two or three years before I actually applied to derm residency, and maybe only 30 people even responded to my emails, but I wasn't like um, turned off by that. I just emailed more so that I could try to get some more responses. And then of those 30 people, maybe only 20 of us, 20 of them actually got to like actually talk to me on the phone and like really get to know me. And then we got to keep a relationship over the next year and a half. But what did happen is I did get a ton of interviews all over the country in places that I'm like, there's no other reason why they interviewed me, but that a faculty member of that program had talked to me and somehow saw my name in the list of 500 applicants and was like, we should interview that person. I've heard of them. And little things like that, you can never, you can't, you'll never be able to fully quantify how it helps you. And that's a tip for all of life. And then I think um, my last thing is finding something that's unique about you that is not medical um, really helps you to stand out. So for me, it was my spoken word poetry, which when I first started my interviews, I didn't realize that putting it on my application, because I wrote my personal statement about poetry and I didn't realize that people were gonna ask me to do poems in the interviews. So luckily after the first interview, I was ready um, because my poetry is definitely very black and very um, political. Um, definitely not like what you wanna do in front of like, you know, I don't know, old white men on a panel. So I had to like, you know, be ready. So, but I, I got my little colorism poem. It was a poem about about being dark-skinned and I uh, shortened it down to a minute cause it was like three and a half minute, which is too long. And in almost, I did eighteen interviews for them. In seventeen of the eighteen interviews, they asked me to do a poem, and you just don't forget.
0: Wow, that's deep, man.
1: And and they all heard the same poem about being dark skin and you know you know white standard beauty and all this kind of stuff, right? Super awkward because again, most of these people are old white men specifically that are interviewed. But you're not gonna forget the girl who did the spoken word piece about colorism in the interview. Mm -hmm. You just can't forget that girl, right? And so I tell right. people, I have mentees that play the piano, that put it on their, their CV with a link to their YouTube channel. You don't forget the the maestro, right? You don't forget the person who was like, I used to play professional basketball or I, um, you know, I cook. I've, I've been to all seven continents and these are things like, like you have to have something that is going to be like on that interview day, this person, that whatever. And people often think, mm-hmm. oh, it's my research. Your research is not going to make you stand out unless Mm -hmm. published in, like, I don't know, I don't know, New England Journal, and and, and
2: if you
1: you publish on, like, the efficacy of the COVID vaccine, that will make you stand out, you know what I mean, or something like (laughs) that, like, you want the Pfizer trial, but, like, besides that, like, your research is not going to make you stand out, everyone does research, your organization, everyone found an organization, everyone likes to cook, you know, like, Everyone likes to run.
0: Everyone likes to cook. You know, I'm
1: just being honest. <laughs> like all my hobbies, but I like to cook and run. Everyone likes to do that. And there's nothing wrong with putting on your hobbies, but it's not going to be the thing that people remember you by. So I tell people, mm-hmm. figure out what it is about you that is unique enough that you can sell so that they can have a one-liner. Okay, this person who does this that wants to come to our program, um, the poetry girl, the, the guitar boy, the basketball girl, whatever, like have that word about you. And, um, so I think with that networking and believing you can do it. And for me, believing in God, um, you know, the, the my first point, you know, just knowing that I'm favored and, and that God puts me where I need to be, that really, um, helps me. So hopefully that's helpful to somebody. Yes. Oh, man. That was, that was, awesome. yeah, that was real
2: good. Man. Now You said you have a lot yeah. of uh, mentees. Uh, how do these people find you? Are these people that just are like in the medical school that's affiliated with the university or um, I how, think... how do people find you?
1: I think most of them find me either um, from my blog or from Instagram because I advertise for my blog on Instagram or from a friend of a friend. Like people will often be like, oh, you're black and you want to go into derm. Oh, I know this girl who's black and in germ. So That's like often like the way that people find me. But on my blog, I, um, I, I write mostly stories that are medical stories, but they're not actually like advice stuff. So usually it's like patient stories that were HIPAA protected and... You know, the the people at our hospital, the legal people have already read the stuff, you know, when someone tried to come for me. Anyway, um, so most of my stuff is patient stories, but I do have like an advice section where I write like the ultimate guide to matching into competitive specialties and all these kinds of things. So people like share that around. And then like usually, especially like black medical students will contact me about any other advice about matching into into competitive specialties. so.
2: So we can just funnel people your way if we need to. Yeah, no for yeah.
0: sure. If you go ahead and drop your drop your handles for um for social media and your and your blog.
1: In the in the chat or say it out loud.
0: <laughs> you can say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> um
1: so my Instagram is just my first name, it's at Oyetewa, O Y E T E W A. And my blog is www.notanotherdoctorblog.com. And my Twitter is also Dope. my person too. It's the same thing. not that I tweet,
0: so don't don't follow me on twitter actually <laughs> and real quick, just real quick is, so is there any advice or knowledge you can share regarding the covid nineteen vaccine? Yeah. I know there's been there's a lot of uh there's a lot of talk, a lot of different things um and a lot of there's a lot of fake news out there as well, but I know definitely in regard to to the black community um there's a lot of skepticism due yeah. to, you know, the, the things that have happened in the past.
1: Absolutely. Um, uh, two things I'll say. Um, one, um, imploring Black people that whenever studies are happening, that we take part. And the reason why I say this is because um, we perpetuate the same cycle of Black people being left out of medicine when we refuse to take part in science. And I understand it because There's no place in medicine where black people were not trampled upon to get where we are. And that's not just the things that we know about with syphilis and all that kind of stuff. It's not just that. It's every derm product. They tested that on black prisoners, on the backs of black prisoners, right? These skin products years ago, right? We talk about ob There's We have images of black women that were on tables without anesthesia where doctors practiced. Like Every place in medicine, black people were at the brunt of the discovery. At the same time, We have a lot of things in place now that are trying our best to include black people in medicine. But because of those sins in the past that the medical community committed against black people, black people don't wanna be involved. And I understand that. But I think the unfortunate thing about that is that when we have data that doesn't include black people and we know, I I I ran clinical trials at the NIH and I I was a part of it. It's harder to recruit black patients. I get why, but, there are studies that are trying their best to recruit black people so they can know it's gonna work for all ethnicities and black people are just more hesitant to sign up. So I guess my, I implore people to sign up for these studies if they feel comfortable and then just pay close attention to make sure that they're being treated appropriately and read through the, 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 um, the consent they're signing and try to talk to other people to get ideas. But we do need to be a part of science so that science can reflect us as well. I'll say that first. With the COVID vaccine trials, um, they did have a tough time recruiting Black patients, but they did get a good number. I'm trying to remember exactly how many, or maybe it was
2: Like like nine, yeah, it was like nine, nine, 10% of of the studies included Black people, which is almost representative of what it is in the U.S.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. So a good number, not as much as I know they were hoping for. I think they were hoping for like 13, 14% but they did try and people have done really well with the vaccine so far you know and you know as Taylor could probably just attest to i mean prizer 95 percent efficacy for or is 90 95 effective at reducing your chance of getting a symptomatic covid infection and i think uh moderna is like 94.1 percent for both around 95 percent. i have moderna i got unlucky i got the you know you know i got like a little bit <laughs> point, point 0.9 <laughs>
2: they're both excellent
1: they're both great and i don't have a tail I don't think I have a chip. The chip that I do have is probably in my cell phone. So people concerned about a chip, you do carry a chip around with you all day. So there's that. Um, you know, I think, you know, it, it's 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 proven to be effective. The, the, the thing that I hesitate with though is that all science does take time, and you can't procure time in a lab. And so, in terms of super super duper long term effects, we don't we just don't have that data yet. The same way we don't have the full data about long-term effects of covid but short long-term effects of covid have been pretty bad and the short long-term effects of the vaccine have been nothing so when you compare the odds based on what we're seeing right now you'd rather get the vaccine than get covid so but you know i just want to say this as a disclaimer in case 10 years from now i do grow a tail i did say we don't have that long-term data um actually, I'm going to be affected in safe and I do think that people should get it. The people that maybe should hold off, pregnant people, I might hold off just because we don't have enough data about that. Kids under sixteen, they weren't included in the trials. Um and then people with really bad allergic reactions, anaphylaxis and things like that, um hold off.
0: Cool. Okay. Yeah man all right that's that was great that was a great explanation um thank you for for joining us you really really explained a lot of things i definitely uh, know that the audience will get a lot from from everything that you had to say today this was this was really dope and thank you again for joining us um for those of you listening you can follow us uh on instagram at full underscore steam underscore ahead um Yeah, there you go. Go ahead and follow. Um, You can follow me uh, on Instagram, JLens underscore ENT, also King underscore Santiago 25 on Instagram. Uh, And that's Twitter as well. Uh, And the JLens is also Twitter. Um, So, Taylor, you can go ahead and drop yours. And, uh, Taylor, you already dropped yours. I'll just let Taylor go ahead.
2: Yeah, yeah, I can catch me on uh, Instagram, Ross Cold Four, the number four. Uh, I am on Twitter, but I don't, I don't tweet, so. <laughs> yep. I just cool, stopped. Cool. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, uh, thank you. Thank you again, uh, my good friend, Taywa, for, for joining us on the episode of Full Steam Ahead. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank it. you yeah, so man. much. This appreciate is it. so
2: informative.
1: Um, I just wanted to say thank you all so much for having me. This was so much fun, and I wanted to just shout out this platform. This is an amazing space for you know black people in in STEM fields to just kind of talk. And I think it's um, it's something that we're missing in the podcast space, done this way, and also done in a way that lets me like show my personality and you know my music. And all I mean it's just it's just amazing. So really excited for what you guys are doing, and excited to support. So thank you so much. Thank awesome. you.
2: Appreciate it.
0: Appreciate it.